Wouldn't it be helpful if you could look at a map and actually see where people are encountering ticks across Canada? And imagine if you could then see what pathogens they're carrying. In this podcast, we're going to learn about a new interactive map that does just this. May is Lyme Awareness Month, and CanLyme is thrilled to announce a new initiative with Genetics Lab. We welcome Justin Wood back to our podcast so that we can learn about the new map that he has developed. We reached Justin today at his lab in Pefferlaw, Ontario. Welcome back to our podcast, Justin. You're our first repeat customer. Thanks, Sarah. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be the first one. <laughs> Can you give us a sneak peek and tell us about the tick map that you've built? Yeah, absolutely I can. Um, I don't really know where to start with this one because it's kind of been uh, something we've been working on pretty much since I started genetics uh, probably three, almost three and a half years ago now. Um, so one of the ideas we had when we were building genetics was that all of the data that we would collect would then go back out there and become publicly available to anybody in Canada or around the world. Um, so when people submitted ticks, we would find a way to take the data they were submitting to us, uh, remove it from any connection to the people that had submitted it, and make that data accessible and easy to understand for people that wanted to know more about ticks in Canada and what kind of tick-borne diseases we were finding in those ticks. So. I think we finally hit a point where we felt like we had enough data and we had the time to go back and see how we could best present this to the world and make it the easiest to understand for people so they didn't have to dig through a lot of difficult scientific jargon or you know read through pretty dense papers and just look at something that was really presentable, easy to understand and say, okay, uh, these guys at Genetics have been having ticks submitted to them for the last three years. These are where the ticks have been coming from. These is what the these are the pathogens they found in those ticks. These are the people uh, demographics they've come off. This is what people have been doing when they found them. Um, we kind of came to this conclusion that an interactive map would be the best way to do that. So we would take all those data points. We would remove identifying information from them. We would randomize them slightly so that they were representative of the area that the ticks were found in, but they weren't going to point to anybody's backyard or anything like that. And then we would display those points on a map where you could toggle in different layers and you could say, okay, I'm interested in only black-legged ticks or I'm interested in just where ticks that have, uh, you know, carry Borrelia, which causes uh, Lyme disease are found. Um, so it really became, or we really wanted it to be an experience that a user could come in, uh, decide what they're interested in, look through our data and without having us made any huge sweeping changes to it, something that's really representative of sort of the raw data source, look through and say, I'm interested in this. This is what I want to find out about. Uh, and here's a really easy way to do that. So when you look at the map, can you actually see regional differences? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the big tasks, and I really do mean a big task because this took us a <laughs> lot longer than we thought it was going to take, uh, was to actually divide our data up uh, into different segments across Canada. So uh, we sort of started with everything in Canada. So we have a map that represents all the ticks that have been submitted to us from anywhere in Canada. doesn't matter what province they're in. Um, and we have some statistics associated with that. Uh, you know, what kind of ticks were submitted? Uh, what were the black-legged ticks carrying? Uh, what were people doing when they contacted them? What time of year? The sort of uh, difficult thing about that is when you put that broad lens of statistics to that sample size, uh, you kind of miss some of the nuances of different regions. So 
when we dug into the data, we found that we were finding different things in different provinces and the sort of infection prevalence types of ticks that were being submitted were, were really different across these provinces. And when we dug a little deeper than that, we actually found that across individual public health units or uh, health management zones uh, in different provinces, we were actually finding often quite striking differences. So what we ended up doing was taking that data that represented all of Canada, and we split it into major provinces that we had enough data for the results to be interesting. Um, so I think that ended up being Ontario, uh, Quebec, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, uh, and BC. And we divided uh, the data into each of those provinces and applied those statistics and created those maps for just those regions. So then you can go in and you can say, okay, it's great that approximately 20% of uh, black-legged ticks are shown to be carrying Borrelia uh, by genetics testing. But what about, uh, or across Canada, but what about just in my home province? So I'm in Ontario. I want to know, you know, what are the statistics there? So then I can dig in I can go into Ontario and say, okay, so the statistics are uh, just a little bit different here. We have a slightly higher percentage of uh, Borrelia compared to, uh, you know, the the Canadian average. Um, We have some other sort of tick-borne diseases being represented as well that we don't see in other provinces. So, uh, you know, this data is more pertinent to me as somebody living in Ontario than it would be to someone um, like you living in B.C., Right. Now, do you see higher proportions of ticks along bodies of water? We do. Um, but that's maybe not necessarily mm. to do with the body of water, but more the uh, way that the ticks are coming into or the direction they're coming up into uh, Canada from. So uh, most of the ticks that we're finding here and the tick-borne diseases that are associated with them are traveling up, you know, from south to north up through uh Uh, the United States into sort of, let's say, southern Ontario, the Maritimes, Quebec, um, and also in uh, on the other side of the province, you know, up the western seaboard into into BC. So in Ontario and uh, sort of the Maritimes areas, when you're coming up, uh, you know, from the states in the south into Canada, at least for the entire southern border of Ontario, you're having to come across these uh, Great Lakes, right? Exactly. So basically, what's happening is the ticks that are coming in and establishing are often coming in on migratory birds. So in the spring, when these migratory birds are coming back in across the border, they're flying across these lakes. And the, the first place they're going to stop is, you know, the first land they see on the other side of the Great Lakes. And so when they land there, you know, it's where a lot of the ticks will fall off and establish there and then, you know, spread north from there. Uh, so we really do see a distribution, at least in Ontario, of a heavier prevalence of ticks and also the uh, associated tick-borne diseases sort of along that northern border of Lake Ontario and some of the other Great Lakes, um, and it sort of tends to decrease a bit as you move north from there. So I guess on your map, too, can you also see those seasonal um, changes represented? I mean, we're recording this on April 30th, and we're planning to publish it on May 4th, um, it is Lyme Awareness Month, the month of May, and uh, it is a time for people to be checking for ticks when they come in from their adventures outdoors. Are you getting a lot of submissions of ticks right now? Yeah, that's a really good and pertinent question. Uh, <laughs> we are absolutely getting a lot of tick submissions this time of year. Um, so our map doesn't actually have any uh, distribution by when the ticks were. Okay. So we had considered doing that, but 
there's sort of a, an issue with how many layers you can add to a map. Uh, right. The software we used, but there's also sort of limitations of what the public is going to find useful. So if you add too many layers, uh, people might start to get a little bit discouraged about what they're digging through. But what we do have is associated with all those maps and for every province and every uh, you know public health region that we've done, uh, we have statistics that come with that. And some of the statistics are actually when uh, is a distribution of which months the majority of ticks of different species and life stages were submitted to us. Um, so we really focus on the black-legged tick species, uh, the adults and the nymphs, which are generally the most dangerous species to humans, and also the dog tick species, but only the adults there because the nymphs generally don't interact with humans. So we have three different charts that show the distribution of when different tick species and their life stages are being contacted most frequently by people in each uh, province or health region. And what we're sort of overwhelmingly finding is that this time of year, so April, May, June especially, is particularly bad for adult black-legged black ticks in the Ontario and Maritimes provinces. Uh, Quebec as well would be included in that. We have another spike for uh, adult black-legged ticks in the fall in sort of October, November. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the sort of summer months when it's a little bit hotter, we actually see a spike in the um, black-legged tick nymphs coming out. Uh, so that's when they're the most active. And that's sort of in the, let's say, June, July, August, September months. That is so important for people to know about the life cycle and when to be more aware. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's actually really important, uh, especially because... And you sort of become aware of the fact that the nymphs are most active in the summer. And you can sort of correlate that when humans are most active outside in Canada. Right. Um, you know, we have this short period where we like to really get out and enjoy the warm weather and, and uh, make the most of the outdoors. And that's the time that sort of correlates with the highest activity of what I would consider the most dangerous stage of black-legged ticks, um, the nymphs. And that's because they're just so small that they can be so difficult to find. They certainly are difficult to find. That is the kind that bit me, and it it felt like a pimple. It was so tiny that I really didn't even pay attention to it for a couple days. I think it's really important for people to see um, the ticks that are not carrying pathogens also. Mm-hmm. Um, as time continues, this is a good surveillance baseline that will demonstrate how pathogens are spreading through various animal populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting as well. I think there's a couple things that are important to note about that. And one of those is just sort of in reference to the way that we are collecting this data. Uh, So this would be considered passive data collection, essentially, where we're not going out and setting traps and uh, making sure all of our sites are randomized and and everything like that. So there's sort of an inherent bias to the ticks that are coming into us that they've had to attached to somebody or an animal and somebody's had to then make the decision that they're concerned enough to send it to us for testing. Um, But I think it does give a really good representation of, you know, what ticks are out there, given that caveat that it may not uh, be sort of the exact caliber of um, what they would call active sampling that a lot of um, like the Public Health Agency of Canada would do that sort of thing. But I think it's still a really useful tool for getting an idea of where these ticks are um, and a really good publicly accessible tool for that. And it does give a sort of interesting perspective of 
as we continue to keep this data or collect this data and we keep these maps updated, we'll be able to sort of toggle through the different years and see, okay, you know, we found these percentages in 2020. Uh, what are we going to see in 2021? What are we going to see in 2022? Are we going to see more Lyme disease? Are we going to see more of some of these other pathogens? Uh, are we going to see these distributions, um, you know, across provinces or within provinces changing? So you're right. I think it's really interesting. Um, and uh, we're going to be able to see hopefully some really interesting patterns emerge as we continue to collect this data. Scientific evidence sounds so important for the general public to be able to access, as well as really beneficial for public health units. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I was actually going to mention earlier, but I kind of digressed from, was that I was talking about how we split our data up into, uh, you know, not just across Canada, but into provinces as well. But in some of the provinces where we have the most data from, we've actually gone a step further than that. And we've actually split it up into individual public health unit regions. Uh, so in Ontario, for example, I think there's 34 public health units and we've taken our data and we've divided it into uh, ticks that fall into the regional boundaries of each of those units. And we've created a series of maps where you can actually toggle between those as well. So you can say, okay, I live in uh, Durham region. I only want to see the data that is pertinent to me here in, in Durham region. And so you can then... Um, toggle the other regions off and you can look at the ticks that have been submitted from just your region. You can look at the statistics associated with just your region. Um, and it gives you sort of a unique perspective of what's happening sort of almost in your backyard as opposed to what's happening across an entire province where you lose some of that nuance. Okay, so quick shifting our hats now. I, I know that you're involved in a new initiative in Ontario with um, a new partnership called TickMD. Can you tell us about that? TickMD is something that we're really excited about. And this is another thing that's been in the works for uh, quite a while. So one of the unique challenges about diagnosing early Lyme disease, and I'm sure you've had multiple guests come on and talk about this exact thing, is that it can be difficult to determine if somebody who has been bitten by tick is actually at the risk of developing Lyme disease. So a number of different factors go into that and what kind of tick it was, um, you know, you're sort of making a guess on whether or not it was carrying the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, if it was carrying any other pathogens. And some of the tools that we would normally use to determine if people are at risk for being infected uh, aren't particularly useful in Lyme disease. So a lot of the early symptoms can be nondescript or, or not even you know present. Uh, I think a lot of people expect if I'm infected, I'm going to get that really big hallmark bullseye rash, and we find that that's not the case. Uh, I'd say the majority of patients don't actually experience that. And, uh, you know, the testing methods we have to determine if you've been infected by Lyme disease aren't particularly effective in the first sort of six to eight weeks because they are serology tests, and there's a period required for your immune system to mount a response against the bacteria, and a detectable response usually takes about six to eight weeks. So you're often left in this unique situation of wondering, am I sick or am I not? And that's a huge issue for Lyme disease because we've found that the acute stages of Lyme disease, you have a much better prognosis for treatment than if you let that go out of that early, let's say, acute stage and you move into 
think what's generally termed the late disseminated stages of Lyme disease. So TICMD is a really unique opportunity to take a tool like tick testing, which can give you a more definitive answer of, okay, I was bit by a tick. This tick was carrying the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. That's a much more definitive risk that you've been exposed or you've been infected than I've been bit by a tick and I have no idea. Right. So quick question. If you're lucky enough to find the tick embedded on your body and remove it properly with the tick removal kit, you can then send it to genetics. And how quickly can customers expect to get a result of that tick test to see if it's carrying pathogens? Yeah, we have an expedited service option, which ensures that you get your results within 48 hours of it arriving at our laboratory. And even for the non-expedited ticks, it's generally three to five days. Uh, we really recognize that speed uh, is of the utmost importance here. Uh, so our whole model is based around making sure people get those results as quickly as they right. can. Right, and the delay is often in transporting the tick to get to your lab, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the longest portion is generally uh, people have to mail their ticks into us. So uh, even with the Canada Post uh, expedited, or I guess it's Express Post service, which we generally recommend people send with, it's usually about two to three days in the mail. Um, so there is a bit of a delay there. You're right. Just a quick note for our listeners in the United States, you can send your ticks for testing to tickreport.com. Now back to the TickMD program that is based in Ontario. People are actually working with a medical doctor for diagnosis and treatment, correct? Yeah, so that's exactly it. So the, the TickMD program is sort of an affiliation between us at Genetics who do the tick testing and a virtual care um, healthcare provider called Castle Medical. And so Castle Medical provides all the, uh, uh, the medical specialists. They do all the work. Um, basically, the TickMD program is a portal between uh, us here at Genetics and the tick testing results we provide and a physician who is knowledgeable and trained in tick-borne disease care who can then use those results as well as everything else at his disposal as a physician to make informed decisions about what the best course of action for uh, these people that have been bitten by ticks is. And one of the really great things about it is it's sort of meant to remove any of the barriers that would prevent people from getting bit by a tick and um, not pursuing healthcare or follow-up healthcare after that. So it's all virtual care. You don't even have to leave your house to do it. you don't actually have to have genetics results in hands to use it. If you've been bit by a tick and you're just, uh, you know, within four weeks of that tick bite, you can still contact TickMD. Their recommendation is generally that they feel more informed if they have tick testing results to um, supplement their decision making, but they don't have to be in hand. So the whole purpose of this program is really to give people an option where they can very quickly, after being bit by a tick, make an informed decision about what they should do next so they don't fall into that trap of um, uh, not having an informed decision-making process that leads to a late disseminated Lyme disease or tick-borne disease case. Oh, that's so helpful. Well, and hopefully with the evolution of telehealth, we can see more of these programs emerge across Canada. That would be really helpful for people. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And I think one thing I would add to that is because it's really relevant right now with the COVID situation that we're in. Um, One of the big benefits of this program launching right now, uh, outside of the fact that it is tick season and people are starting to really encounter ticks, is that we're in a situation where a lot of our 
healthcare units, our emergency care, especially in Canada, is uh, sort of at a breaking point and heavily overburdened. So this program is really helpful in the sense that it can relieve some of that burden of people being bitten by ticks and then having to walk into a walk-in clinic, an emergency care clinic, um, and say, I need to have this tick removed. What do I do with it? So we've sort of made a convenient way to relieve some of that burden as well as we enter this really heavy tick season. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Justin, you know, you are a valuable member of our Lyme education awareness and prevention team. And I want to thank you for helping us um, develop the educator resource that will be coming out. Uh, Version number two is coming out in May. And uh, Justin has done a lot of work with our team to support us with all the scientific facts. So thank you for your time and your dedication to this really important work, Justin. My pleasure. I'm really excited to see the final version of that. Justin has been super busy working on initiatives that are bringing awareness and support to Canadians about Lyme disease. Be sure to check out the interactive map that you can find in our podcast notes and to learn more about the TICMD virtual care program. This is Can Lyme's Looking at Lyme podcast, and I am your host, Sarah Cormode. Until the next time, stay safe in the outdoors. Music.